This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. to Sports for CLE. I'm Mac Robinson filling in for Dave Bacon. Some great views of training camp earlier today. As you saw, Miles Garrett and Greedy Williams. Some of the big storylines from earlier today. Greedy Williams back in pads. First time that we've seen that since 2019 as he dealt with a nerve injury in 2020. And on top of that as well, also returning to the practice field, you have Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa, who was actually practicing in pads earlier today as well. And he also, you know, spoke to uh, reporters earlier today and mentioned the fact that in order to get used to uh, and get adjusted to that defense, he mentioned that he utilized fruit and dumbbells set up to figure out the alignments on defense for them as well. And also reports from ESPN's Dan Graziano saying that Odell Beckham should be ramping up his practice next week uh, and should be back to full go next week, according to his talk with Kevin Stefanski. But before we bring in our great guest, Dennis Maniloff, and also later on, Chris Manning of Locked On Cavs, let's hear from Kyle Brandt of Good Morning Football of NFL Network and where he thinks the Browns fit in the AFC North. I have to give a tiny, slight tip of the hat to Cleveland. I have the sensation that Cleveland is on the way up. I think they are the next big thing, based in part to their roster, based in part to Stefanski. I wonder if Baltimore can make that jump. I, 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 we've seen some great football from the Ravens, from Lamar. I just feel like that Cleveland is on the way up a little bit more than they are, and I love what they have going. Nate, you talked about can they do the run with the pass, can yeah. Baltimore... Cleveland can already. Yeah. I mean, Cleveland's ready, baby. And their defense is stacked now. And look, I think the Steelers, does Ben still have it? Cincinnati, who knows? Baltimore, can they have that next level passing game? Because we've seen how far the run game can take them. Right to the middle of the playoffs and see you later. And look, I like uh, Rashad Bateman making some impressive catches in front of Mike Garofolo in camp as much as the next guy. Is he doing it against the Chiefs in the playoffs? Like, we got to see. I've heard about this passing game for a long time. We got to have it. And, you know, I think Kyle Brandt makes a good point. You know, we've seen the run game from the Baltimore Ravens. They've added in Sammy Watkins. They've added in Rashad Bateman. we got to see them take that next step. In order to talk about that, let's bring in Dennis Maniloff of News Radio WTAM 1100. D-Man, what are your thoughts on what Kyle had said with uh, the Browns being ahead of the Ravens? I'm doing the same thing to you, young Mac, that I do <laughs> to the great Dave Bacon when I when these clips get played. Pump the brakes, please. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It makes me nervous to hear all of this praise heaped on the Browns. I'm as bullish on the Browns as anybody, but I'm also, uh, shall we say, realistic, which sometimes puts me at odds with, with, with some of these uh, the pundits. I like Kyle Brand. Okay, great. But here's my question to Kyle Brandt and anybody else 
who says that the Browns are going to be better than the Ravens. And trust me, I have to hold my nose when I say this because I hate the Ravens, all right? But what have the Browns accomplished that the Ravens have not accomplished in the past couple of years? I mean, you just heard Mr. Brandt say that the Ravens, you know, need a next-level passing game, and what we've seen from them is they get to the middle of the playoffs and then they're out. Well, what have the Browns done? They won one playoff game last year for the first time in a bazillion years. So my my thing is, I, I got to see it first. I, I want the Browns to succeed. I want them to supplant the Ravens in the AFC North. But I'm not going to crown them until they actually wear a crown, until they actually have won the division. I'm going to give the Ravens the respect as a defending division champ. I guess my my counterpoint to that would be with the Ravens this offseason, they've lost a lot of their defensive pieces too. So I feel like the Ravens have almost subtracted a bit. Obviously, they added in Justin Houston last week, but at the same time, I feel like they've lost a lot of pieces to what they had already compared to the Browns where they've added. And yes, I, I agree with what you're saying where you haven't necessarily seen it yet. But at the same time, I feel like the subtractions from the Ravens and the additions for the Browns have kind of almost leveled it out at least. I hear you, Mac. And, and again, you're, you're preaching to the choir to a large extent because I want the Browns to be the best team in the history of the world. I want them to win you know, the Super Bowl this year and for the next 20 years. So um, I, I'm just trying to say, and yeah, the Ravens have lost pieces, but I'm glad you mentioned Houston. I mean, he comes in rather quietly. Um, Clowney got all the fanfare. Houston got basically no fanfare based on when he did sign. Well, you know what? Justin Houston, in my mind, is still a decent player, and we don't know about Clowney. You know, I I can't wait to see him healthy, but that's a big if, though. Um, and, yes, the Browns the Browns on paper added a lot, particularly on the defensive side. But we don't know how they're all going to mesh. We don't know how they're all going to react to, you know, Joe Woods' system. And we don't know how some of the guys who have had injury pasts are going to respond, i.e., uh, you know, Jadavion Clowney. And another one, relative short career, shorter career than Clowney, Greedy Williams, a very important piece, you would think, going forward. He's got injuries already in his brief career. So uh, we shall see how good the defense actually plays. But I agree that the Browns look good on paper. Now, you mentioned Jadavian Clowney. Let's listen to Coach Stefanski and linebackers coach Jason Tarver talk about how Clowney has looked and his impact on the rest of the defense. Yeah, Jadavian's doing a really nice job. I enjoy having him out here. He's a lively presence. Uh, he's a good teammate. He enjoys practicing, enjoys running around. Uh, so I, I see that from him. You mentioned the meeting rooms. He's, he's been on point trying to learn what we're doing and, and learn these techniques. Uh, so been so far so good. We'll be smart, Jeff, with with all these guys. And Devian's uh, somebody that we'll be smart with as, as we 
uh, continue along here, but uh, he's worked really hard. He's he's in a good spot physically. Oh, disruption, disruption. Uh, we're excited about the group of players who's ever in whatever eleven are on the field, um, and just being able to disrupt things. And our linebackers will be able to make more things right. You know, that's your job as a linebacker. You're a linebacker. You're backed off the ball so that you can make right what happens in front of you. So we're excited to be able to do that. It seems like we're getting good reviews when it comes to Davian Clowney early. How do you think that his addition will impact not only the defensive line, but also those linebackers that really seem to kind of struggle at times last year in this defense? Well, first of all, I mean, if he's healthy, he figures to be a force, especially given that he's opposite of Miles Garrett, that I'm begging, I beg for good health for Clowney because I really want to see Clowney and and uh, Miles week one ripping and snorting because that that should be fun. And the other thing too is I, I heard this I think it was from yesterday where David or maybe even today maybe even earlier today where Jadavion Clowney was talking about watching Miles Garrett and one of the things he said was uh, I wanted to see one of the highest paid players in the NFL. I just thought that was a funny comment you know coming from a teammate. Um, but I mean, Clowney, he has obviously the incredible physical skills. Um, he's he has the ability to rush the passer and bounce inside, uh, and defend the run if need be. I would think he would have the ability to drop back a little bit in zone reads, uh, every once in a while, just to confuse a quarterback. I don't know how many times he's done it in his career, but I would think he would be able to do that. Um, as far as how he helps the linebackers, I mean, anytime you have a, a superior edge rusher, everything speeds up for the opposition. The faster the opposition has to go, the easier it's going to be for the next uh, the next level of defense. So, uh, you know, linebackers absolutely love when they have great edge rushers in front of them. D-Man and I are going to step aside, take a timeout, and we will be right back. Kevin Stefanski and Jason Tarver talking more about that linebacking core. We'll hear from them right after this on Sports for CLE. I'm Mac Robinson, and earlier today, linebackers coach Jason Tarver spoke about the linebackers' room as well as their leadership and Anthony Walker's approach in that linebacker room. We're really trying to master our scheme and our techniques, and before we got into pads, we are doing a really good job of that. So we were more efficient this season when we got into pads than we were in the past, which was good to see from our group. 
and then being able to work together. That's been impressive how well our guys are communicating. Oh, man, they, they, Anthony's been absolutely wonderful for our group. Uh, Mac Wilson and Anthony got themselves in really good shape. That's helped Mac. Uh, just being able to bounce things off Anthony's experience in a similar system and Jacob, his experience from last year and the way that we say things, they're working together to figure out the best way to do it, and that's exciting. You love to hear that from the linebackers room, especially when that was such a glaring hole last year and a big issue on this defense. Let's bring in Dennis Maniloff of WTAM 1100 and D-Man. With that linebackers room, especially bring in Anthony Walker, despite the injury, you know, it just seems like his presence alone is really making a difference for all these young guys. Well, there's no question, Mac, and thank goodness uh, that – the Walker injury does not appear to be serious. I mean, that was, uh, it was a lot of, you know, holding a breath there while uh, Walker had to exit and there was some uncertainty about it, but apparently he's, he's only going to miss uh, a week plus. So good news there on the Walker front. And yeah, I mean, when he was acquired uh, by the Browns, you heard nothing but great things about his professionalism, his football IQ, uh, yeah, he, he makes plays too, of course, but primarily you liked uh, what you heard about his presence in the locker room and his ability to quarterback the defense, as it were. And, um, you know, that 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 is going to be a, an integral part of this, uh, of this defense, and he will be uh, critical for Joe Woods to get accomplished what Joe Woods wants to get accomplished. Now, Jason Tarver mentioned Mac Wilson and Anthony Walker's effect on him. Let's hear more from Tarver on Mac Wilson as well as Kevin Stefanski. Uh, Mac is more flexible, more bendable. Um, he's running really well. He's finishing to the ball well, which is our number one thing for linebackers. It's run because we've got to be able to run across the board. And he's put himself in a position to compete by his – by being in shape. He's in much better shape. He's lighter, but he's got more lean muscle mass. Uh, proud of the work he's done and excited to see where he's going. Yeah, outstanding play by Mac. Uh, elevated, went and got it. Displayed great hands. He's been trying to get on goal line offense for a long time. Uh, tell, tell me about those hands. Uh, but he, he's, yeah, he came in great shape physically. I think he's, he's uh, running really well, still powerful. Uh, and then I think mentally, I think he's in just in a really good spot. A lot of high praise there from Coach Stefanski and Coach Tarver, and not only that too, but also from uh, Monday morning quarterback uh, Albert Breer mentioning on Twitter that Mac Wilson quietly having a good camp and that he's changed his body this offseason. It's showing early on it'd be tough for Wilson to unseat uh, the new Brown Anthony Walker, but at least he's vying for some sort of role on this team. Now, D-Man, for somebody who – you know, throughout this offseason has been questioned for whether or not he would make the roster. You know, what are your thoughts early on from Mac Wilson and really the fact that he's taken such great strides apparently here early on in camp? Well, first of all, I want to go back to the Stefanski bites. Why is he now wearing his brownie elf cap, his, his famous <laughs> brownie elf cap that he always wears? He had a new one today, but uh, on a more serious note. Yeah, Mac Wilson, there were questions about whether – he would make the roster. I guess there still are. Uh, but clearly we have found out what the Browns identified as the problem for, for Mac Wilson. You know, what, what was the 
what was plaguing him, if you will, last year. It was definitely his conditioning, his physical fitness, because you heard Stefanski talk about it. You heard the linebackers coach talk about it. Um, they they want, and then you heard Albert Breer talk about it. it. Mac Wilson needed to undergo a, you know, I wouldn't, I don't know if it's a transformation, but he needed to undergo a serious tweaking of his physical conditioning, and he has, and now he's put himself in his in a much better position to compete. Well, when you look at that and all of the notes that we've seen about Mac Wilson, do you think that that puts more pressure on somebody like a Sione Takitaki, who also was a third-round pick back in 2019 and also seems like he's towards that back end of that linebacking room? Sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I could see Takitaki having a battle and, and Wilson having a battle. Uh, I think Walker's in a good spot, obviously. JOK, now that he's back, he'll be fine. Um, because, you know, he, he comes back from COVID and he might have a little catching up to do, even though he said he won't necessarily, but I, I think he will. But regardless, he's going to be fine. I mean, there are, you know, there are, there are a limited number of spots in, in the linebacker situation. So, yeah, Wilson uh, is, is pushing Taki Taki and anybody else for that situation. So, uh, it, it's a it's a fascinating group because, as you said, Mac, it was targeted as a you know as a weakness uh, of this team. It's hard to say weakness because there's quality players in that room. But when you look at the line and you look at the you know the secondary, when the secondary has guys like John Johnson the third and Denzel Ward and Newsom, and then the line has guys like Clowney and and uh, Garrett. And, and Jackson and whatnot, you see the linebackers as maybe the, the weaker link in the uh, defensive chain, but I, you know, they still have the potential to be good. Now, Coach Jason Tarver also mentioned uh, the effect that Anthony Walker has had on the entire linebacking room. Let's hear him talk a little more about Jacob Phillips, who should be filling in for Walker in his absence. Jacob has done some stuff to this camp where he looks at the entire defense and just yells, hey, you're supposed to be over here. Love that. Love that. He's got that personality where he wants to be right, wants to run it, um, smart, wants to know all the rules. So we like, I mean, I, we like Jacob at all positions, but he's doing a nice job of being that guy that can communicate and run the defense. Now, D-Man, for somebody coming in his second year, Jacob Phillips in uh, in taken out of the third round this past year, you know, for him to at least kind of have that communication down and be that leader on that defense, especially filling in for somebody like Anthony Walker, you know, it seems like he's really taken a step this training camp. Yeah, Mac, and I'm, I'm glad you brought Phillips up. He, he was slipping my mind when I was trying to think of all the linebackers the Browns <laughs> have. Phillips did some good things last year, and, you know, he flashed some real athleticism and some speed. You know, that, that famous sideline-to-sideline side speed that teams desperately need from their defense. And and so, yeah, I, I was looking forward to seeing what kind of maturation we would get out of Phillips uh, before any of the offseason stuff started, before the uh, draft, before free agency, or whoever they brought in. I still was going to look forward to Jacob Phillips regardless. And... Um, 
Yeah, he's definitely an intriguing prospect. Now, obviously, you mentioned intriguing prospects, and one of the biggest names that we've seen that everybody's wanted to see has been Jeremiah Wusukoromoa, and he was able to you know, hit the practice field today. Let's hear uh, Coach Tarver talk about uh, JOK earlier today. Jeremiah did a really good job in the spring. and has really, He's a really good note-taker, and he was with us for all those spring practices. He asked really good questions, and he's been doing a really nice job both virtually we learned a lot last year from our virtual program that we had, right? So we've applied some of those things with 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 him since he's been back at camp and done it these past few days. And, uh, you know, so he'll be worked in, and he's got one spot right now to master, and we'll see how he does there. But we're excited with his process of how he's learning, and he'll get worked in as we go these next few days. Well, he'll be he'll be a little bit more on the edges of the defense, but he'll be also matched up in certain things matched up to use his really good skill set of coverage and blitzing, all those things. But without being specific naming a position, because all of our guys, all of our linebackers pretty much play them all when it's all said and done, and we need everybody, and that's how we approach it. You know, D-Man, you, you love to hear that. And between him and, you know, JOK mentioned earlier the fact that while he was at home, he utilized fruits and dumbbells to, you know, get the alignments down. At least uh, he had it in front of him. So you love to hear that from your draftee and JOK. Mac, first of all, uh, Tarver, he, he sounds to me like a guy who eats nails for breakfast. <laughs> I mean, he, he sounds like a guy that you'd want to run through a wall for. With a that true intensity. Dan Campbell type. What's that? I said a true Dan Campbell type. Bite the kneecaps. <laughs> yeah, I love those guys. <laughs> I, I love those position player coaches who or those position coaches who are just fiery. <laughs> um, but, yeah, you know, the Joker, by the way, I'm, I'm a little disappointed in the Joker, even though I'm his biggest fan when he was coming out of Notre Dame. Why he would say – J-O-K equals the jock, as what people call him, jock. No, he's the joker. He's not jock. Um, but the thing about Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa that is so, you know, one of the reasons why he's such a good prospect is because he's positionless, you know, as a linebacker. And I'm glad Tarver said that. All the linebackers learn how to play all the, all the, the different ones, you know, the Will, the Sam, and the Mike. But with Owusu Karamoa, his job is going to be get to the ball carrier. <laughs> you know, wherever <laughs> the ball is, find it. And that's one of his innate traits. One of the things that makes him so good as a football player is he just seeks the ball carrier and destroys the ball carrier or seeks the football and dislodges it or something. So – and then that, and that's called in common parlance a playmaker. That's who Owusu Koromoa is. That's why you, I think you hear Tarver talking about matchups because with the Joker's uh, skill set, he's going to be able to do some spying, you would think. Lamar Jackson comes to mind. Um, you know, that type of skill set is going to be able to help the Browns handle certain speed guys and you know you also have to account for just the way joker impacts a game and and honestly too it might not be that evident in practice yes he's going to have to practice well and he's going to have to do 
a good job with his reps in order to earn playing time. But I don't know that you're going to get the true indication of how good of a player he is until he goes out on an NFL field and actually does it, and those instincts are able to kick in, and he makes plays where you go, wow. D-Man and I are going to take a timeout, step aside. When we come back, we're going to go ahead and look at the wide receiver room and hear from one national, one national pundit who thinks that the Browns are going to be better off with one guy coming back this year. Stay tuned to Sports for CLE. We'll be right back after this. Sports for CLA. I'm Mac Robinson, and on ESPN's Get Up this morning, Marcus Spears, former NFLer, uh, went on to talk about Odell Beckham Jr. and backed him going into this season. Last year, when we were having this conversation, it somehow became that OBJ was a problem because Baker Mayfield wasn't playing well. It was because Baker Mayfield and Kevin Stefanski were starting new, and it was figuring things out. I want OBJ on my team based on the things that I know about him and guys that have played with him will tell you about him. So, like, I'm not going to say let us. We, I'm not standing for anybody creating a narrative because OBJ is coming back that it's going to become an issue because he's on offense and he's going to either be demanding the ball or Baker Mayfield going to take a step back. It's just not true and not the way that, that he operates or people around him operates. This will fit in well. It's a better understanding of Kevin Stefanski's offense. OBJ understands his role in this offense, and that's to be dynamic as he's been when he's been on on the field. So I'm going to leave it at that. I ain't letting this narrative get created that it's going to be an issue when OBJ comes back to play wide receiver for the Browns. It's going to be a plus and an add. Yeah, that makes all the sense in the world. And especially seeing the other additions that have been made and, you know, with the rest of the offense, all of those weapons around him, that takes that pressure off of Odell Beckham. Let's bring in D-Man, Dennis Maniloff of WTAM 1100. And D-Man, Marcus Spears saying that Odell, it shouldn't have the narrative that the Browns are better without him or should move on from him. What are your thoughts and expectations on Odell heading into 2021? Well, first of all, I'm never, ever going to argue with Marcus Spears because <laughs> he could uh, put me out of business uh, with, the, with his thumb. <laughs> he can end my life with his thumb. I love Marcus Spears. Um, so anything I say that might deviate from what he's saying, no offense, Marcus, at all. But uh, Odell, when he you know, was healthy and playing with Baker, there did seem to be some chemistry issues on the field. It just It felt like Baker was forcing it a little bit to Odell. Uh, sometimes there were – 
couple of games where he didn't see he didn't get any touches early, and then next thing you know, they were throwing it to him a lot. Some of that could be Kevin Stefanski. And so I agree with uh, Marcus Spears when he's saying that last year, first year for Baker and Stefanski, everything's new. They're all trying to fit. They're all trying to work their way in, uh, you know, into the system and figure it out. But I also think that there was a deference, if you will, by Mayfield and perhaps by Stefanski to Odell and, and, and to the talent that he is that they said, you know what, we have to make sure we get him the ball a certain amount of times, or if we're not getting him the ball enough early, we've got to get him more late. Um, and I, when he went down, it did feel like Baker was freed up a little bit. He didn't have to worry about Odell's touches. All that said, having Odell Beckham Jr. back and healthy is much better for this team it's better to have Odell than not. Um, you know, he is a clear, dis, uh, you know, difference maker as a wide receiver. And as much as I like the Browns wide receiving core uh, at the end of the season, they were missing that dynamic talent that Odell Beckham is. So he definitely helps this team coming back. And I will buy what Marcus Spears is selling that, Second year, now that Stefanski and Baker know what they're what each other's doing and they know the system and you know Baker knows what is expected of him and Stefanski knows what Baker can deliver for him, it should be much easier to integrate Odell into the the flow and not have to worry about you know X number of touches, X number of yards. Um, and and the, one of the other keys though, Mac, is that. Odell's going to have to be, you know, team-oriented the whole way. He's not going to have to – he can't be putting on any sort of sideline tantrum if, if there's, an you know, a first half where he only gets one ball thrown his way. He has to blend in with the team, and I think he will. Now, D-Man, with the rest of that, you know, wide receiver room, like you said, I think that it will help Odell – you know, the fact that Baker is now kind of integrated into that system. But on top of that, too, you have to get that communication down. And, you know, according to uh, Chad O'Shea, wide receiver coach, earlier today said that Baker's doing a great job with, you know, communication with these guys, including Odell. So do you feel like, especially early on in camp, getting that communication down for all these receivers, including Odell, is going to be key for the success of this offense? Yeah, it, it, it certainly is good news. When you hear and read that and see that, um, you know, Baker is uh, communicating with his guy. The only one he really doesn't need to talk to, we think, is uh, Hollywood Higgins. Because it <laughs> seems like those two guys wake up and uh, Baker can complete a pass to, uh, to Higgins when both guys are asleep. Um, but it is good to see Baker taking that leadership role and making sure that, you know, everybody knows that he's the clear uh, leader of the offense, even though, you know, Nick Chubb is a, is a great presence, and so is OBJ, and so is Jarvis Landry. But if your quarterback, especially a guy who was drafted number one overall in 2018, uh, if he's not the unquestioned leader of your offense, then you got a problem. Now... Uh, Coach Stefanski spoke about the rest of that wide receiver room and you know the high IQ that you see from those guys earlier today in his press conference. 
No, I don't find it unusual for that position, Tony. I tell you, there's a bunch of smart receivers. Uh, and we've talked about Jarvis's understanding of football. We have a young kid, Anthony Ford, who's really ahead of the curve when it comes to understanding ball. So I've been impressed with that room in total. Uh, and Donovan certainly is, is a guy that we knew last year. We put a lot on his plate, and he, and he was able to handle all of it. Now, you know, the rest of that wide receiver room, you, you obviously have a lot of smart players, and obviously the guys that they were able to bring in, Donovan Peoples-Jones and Anthony Schwartz, very high intelligence for that position. Do you think that also kind of helps their learning curve to be able to, you know, perform if need be early on, even though you have guys like Jarvis Landry and Odell? There's no doubt about it. First of all, Mac, you, you, if you are not smart, you're probably not going to be able to play <laughs> for a Browns paradigm uh, led by Andrew Barry at general manager, Paul DePodesta, chief operating officer, or chief football officer, and uh, Kevin Stefanski as head coach, the, uh, the Ivy League triumvirate. The expectation when you walk into uh, Brown's camp is that you're going to know what you're doing. And I, they obviously identify that as one of the characteristics they want in a ball player. They want to see a smart guy because it helps in so many ways. I mean, it, it, the coaching becomes easier. It, it, it's quicker for the player who's smart to get, uh, get all the concepts down, memorize the playbook, know where he's supposed to be. The more times you know where you're supposed to be, the less time you have to do it again. So everything moves better, uh, both in practice and in games, when you have intelligent guys. It, it just feels like this team in particular is as smart football-wise as anyone that I can remember in a long, long time. Demon and I are going to step aside. When we come back, we're going to be talking the Nick Chubb contract, why it was smart, and why it could extend the careers of both running backs is Sports for CLE. We'll be right back. Back to sports for CLE. I'm Mac Robinson on ESPN's KJZ. Field Yates, fantasy uh, expert, uh, spoke about why it made sense to sign Nick Chubb for both sides over the weekend. I am typically not necessarily the biggest proponent of paying running backs at or near the top of the market. There is some value here in the fact that it's a three year contract where you do expect that for the next four seasons, 2021 included. Nick Chubb should be at or near the top of the running back class 
amongst the best that includes the Christian McCaffrey's and the Dalvin Cooks and the Derrick Henry's and those type of players. So I actually think it's a reasonable deal on both sides. Now, you'll be able to hear more from Field Yates as he's going to be on with John Fanta tomorrow on Sports for CLE, so make sure you stay tuned for that. But let's bring in D-Man Dennis Maniloff of uh, WTM 1100. And D-Man, you know, when it came to signing Nick Chubb, obviously the analytics might not necessarily say you pay a running back, but in this case, it just seems like it made sense for both sides. You're 100% correct, and it felt like a win-win for both sides of it. Running backs... No matter how good they are, we know Nick Chubb to be great. And I, I say he's the best back in football. I get an argument from those who support Derrick Henry or maybe another quarter, or another running back in there. But at the minimum, Chubb's the top three running back in the NFL. Um, but he, even as great as Chubb is, he's probably going to have wear and tear. And the history of running backs is not on the side of longevity it's difficult for running backs to remain really good into their early, you know, late twenties, let alone early thirties. So if you're a running back, you make sure you get as much money as you can early and make it, you know, as much as you can guarantee, which it appears is what happened here with, with Chubb. I mean, we're not in the room. We didn't negotiate, but uh, it looks like a good deal for Chubb. Looks like a decent deal for the, uh, the Browns as well. Uh, Nick Chubb is not just a great back, but he is an integral part to the Cleveland Browns. He is more important to the Cleveland Browns than maybe a lot of people would realize. And and that's why it's so important to give him his due in, in terms of bank. Um, you know, he has a presence with this team that I wouldn't say is irreplaceable, but it's invaluable. It's very, very important. And you don't want to have this team mature without a a happy Nick Chubb. Now, Chubb is so so straight-laced and so uh, focused and robotic on his task at hand. You don't don't know if he's mad or if he's not mad, Uh, but you take care of Nick Chubb. And it's important to address this too, Matt. I've heard some nonsense on the national side that the Browns signing Nick Chubb before Baker Mayfield is an example of why, of how Baker is not as important as Nick Chubb on the Browns. That, that's just ridiculous, okay? Nick Chubb is very important, but Baker Mayfield is too. And, and a franchise quarterback is more important than a franchise running back, even one as good as Chubb is. The reason that Baker Mayfield has not signed yet does not have to do with Nick Chubb. And we've talked about this. Dave Bacon pegged it. I've pegged it. Others have pegged it. We're not the only ones. Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, Baker Mayfield, the three big quarterback names from the 2018 draft class. Not None of the three has signed an extension yet. All three of them and their representatives are at an imaginary table, and they're looking at each other, waiting for the first guy to go. Because what happens when the first guy signs? The next guy signs for more, and the next guy signs for more than, than that. So 
neither one of these three camps wants to go first. So it made total sense that the Browns would extend Nick Chubb before they ever got around to extending uh, Mayfield, if Mayfield wants to be extended at all, because that's a possibility that he doesn't even want to be extended. Or at the very least, Mayfield wants to wait until Allen signs or Jackson signs. So Dave and I and others predicted that Nick Chubb would get would get the extension before Baker did, but it has no it has nothing to do with Baker not being as much of a priority as Chubb, or he's not as big a deal as Chubb. It's just the way that quarterback extensions go, especially when it comes to the 2018 triumvirate of Allen Jackson and Mayfield. Uh, so, D-Man, I-, I wanted to get into this, too, because we heard from Kareem Hunt, we heard from Kevin Stefanski on the extension and how they kind of help each other out when it comes to their play. It's amazing, you know, I'm happy for him. Uh, you know, uh, still waiting on my Wagyu steak. But uh, I'm very happy for him, you know, he deserves it. He works very hard each and every day, and, you know, that guy is just a great dude, and he's very humble. There's really no shortage what what you do um, with, with those two players. Uh, and then you got to figure out what's the sweet spot and, and do the things that, that make sense and make sure they both are playing or you're, you're utilizing them both to their uh, highest potential. Um, so those are conversations that we've had throughout the spring and summer. Um, and, and we'll see how it evolves. But two competitive guys that, that, that push each other. With those two guys and their personalities, uh, they are all about winning and they're all about the And when you have that from those two players, it makes it easy to one guy's in, one guy's out. Maybe they're both in. Uh, it, it, it ultimately is it's what's best for the and, and that's what they're about. It is a luxury to have those, those two guys, uh, 1A and 1B, and we feel strongly about both of them. They can all do anything that we ask them to do in this offense. Then I think Stump Mitchell does an outstanding job with those guys throughout the week, but especially on game day. Stump has a really good feel for who needs a break, when it's next time to go in there, when it's Kareem's, uh, how, to, how to utilize those guys uh, in the best way. I think Stump's really good. Now, D-Man, with... Hey, Mac, Mac. Yes. Did you notice? <laughs> he had the beanie on. Huh? <laughs> Help was back. Right on cue. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, D-Man, you know, with Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb, I-, I feel like both of these guys together and the way that the Browns utilize them, do you think that it extends their career because they don't have to take as many hits and are limiting each other's touches at that point? Well, there, there's no question about it uh, because running backs are measured in, in in the NFL. Running backs are measured a lot in their carries. You know, analysts have done the the work on this, and you know, I, I've heard 1,200 carries in an NFL career is sort of a magic or not magic number where the uh, the tread starts to wear and, and you start to see some slippage. 1,500 carries, another number. Uh, So, you know, you need to be mindful of how much of a wear and tear a running back gets over the course of the season. So it can only help that Chubb has Hunt to spell him and Hunt has Chubb to spell him. I don't know how much longer this Batman Robin is going to work, at least in, in the 
case of Hunt because he's going to want to show one more year, you would think, that he is healthy and good and viable and on the straight and narrow because he's had a, a, a rocky past. We know that. But he's going to want to get paid and be a, a featured back somewhere. But I, for at least for 2021, we're going to have both these guys uh, doing their thing. And But I, I'll say this, Mac, and this is one of the reasons why I asked Browns fans and analysts to pump the brakes a little bit. Last postseason, the Browns went into Kansas City in the divisional round. And they had the, the, the fortune, a misfortune for Kansas City, fortune for Cleveland, that Patrick Mahomes was knocked out middle of the third quarter. So the Browns only had to deal with Patrick Mahomes for two and a half quarters in Arrowhead. And, you know, a COVID situation where the fans you know, are nowhere near as pronounced and the home field advantage isn't anywhere near as severe. The Browns had Baker Mayfield, Rashard Higgins, Jarvis Landry, Hooper, Najoku, but most importantly, Chubb and Hunt. And they could only score 17 points. The Browns, if they would have scored 23 points, would have won the division round and would have gone to Buffalo for the AFC Championship game. So when I hear all this talk about how great Chubb and Hunt are in the backfield and how many weapons the Browns have, I keep going back to last, off, last postseason when all that the Browns could muster despite all those weapons. They didn't have OBJ, granted, but they had pretty much everybody else, and they only managed 17 points. So. I don't know. It, it still stings, Mac. It still bothers me that they lost that game 22 to 17. Not 32 to 17, not 42 to 17, 22 to 17. Well, all that creativity with Stefanski and Van Pelt and all those weapons, they couldn't manage more than 17 points. That, that's a shame. We're out of so, D-Man, thank you so much for taking the time out. We appreciate you coming on. Uh, thank you very much. Mac, you're the man. Thank you. Dennis Maniloff of News Radio WTAM 1100. When we come back, Chris Manning of Locked On Cavs and Fear the Sword going to be talking Cavs, Jared Allen, and much more with me. This is Sports for CLE. Stay with us.
Welcome back to Sports for CLE. I'm Mac Robinson. And, you know, offseason in full swing in the NBA. Plenty of movement. And to break it all down, we have Chris Manning of Locked On Cavs and Fear the Sword joining me. Uh, Chris, how you doing today, my friend? Hey, I'm doing great, man. It's great to be with you. Great to see you. Great to see you. And some of the big news that came down, it might not necessarily have made the great headlines, but Kemba Walker gets bought out by the Oklahoma City Thunder, and it seems to be that he's going to be signing with the New York Knicks. And I feel like this has two ways that the Cavs are going to be affected in this. One, do you think that this could lead to a possible Kevin Love buyout? And two, do you think that this takes away the Knicks as a possible suitor for Colin Sexton as the rumors have been swirling this offseason? Yeah, I think they're both great questions. I think with the Sexton thing in particular, I'll start there. I, I kind of thought that that was more of a CAA, his agency, who obviously has deep ties with the Knicks than a Caps thing. Uh, if you look at what the Knicks were reportedly interested in trading Cleveland, it was, you know, Obi Toppin, who Cleveland could have just taken last year and was whatever as a rookie, I would say. Two kind of mid-first-round picks that the Knicks traded off of anyway, right? Like, it wasn't a really robust offer for Colin Sexton. And I don't think they have the stuff now that would really interest me, nor do they have a need for Colin Sexton, right? Like they just gave Derek Rose a new contract. They have Emmanuel quickly already on a rookie contract and he's pretty good. And they just, they're bringing Kemba Walker. So there's not really like a massive need there to not just get a guy with Colin Sexton skills, but also acquire Colin Sexton and then assumedly pay him when his uh, contract runs it after next season. So there's that. I think with the Kevin Love thing, I think that was, we're headed there anyway, right? Like I think the Kemba thing maybe sets some precedent a little bit in terms of how much money he was willing to give up to get out of that contract and go get a new deal with the Knicks. But Kevin Love, I think is, I don't really know why he would go back at this point, right? Like, I, I think if you're him, you got to look at it as saying, like, okay, like this, this team doesn't fit where I'm at anymore unless I'm really willing to change what I kind of have been the last couple of years, what I'm willing to kind of do. And for Cleveland, I think the vibe is just, let's reset the vibe. Larry can be our older guy. Maybe we can bring in someone else to be a kind of older, stable vet in the locker room. And you, you move on fully, I think, to a newer with Evan Mobley and, and Jared Allen as your front court. Now, one of those veteran names that's been brought up at least – earlier today has been Danny Green as somebody who is, you know, he's previously been with the organization, originally drafted by the Cavs in the second round. Uh, do you think that Danny Green could be a fit, and do you think that he's somebody who the Cavs can bring in? I, I'm skeptical. I I think he makes sense. I'm skeptical he would want to go to Cleveland where he's near the end of his career, and why would he go to a situation where there's no way he's competing for a title? Even if you're a Cavs optimist and you think the Cavs are in a really good spot, there's not an argument that is going to lead you to think this team is a title team next year. Danny Green is a guy that I think if you get him in the right situation and maybe he's not great consistently, maybe he has like a bad shooting stretch or kind of goes invisible for stretches at, at this point in his career. And he's not the defender that he was maybe at his Spurs apex. But like, I, I think the Lakers, I think Phoenix, I think a team like that, that needs another wing that is a real title contender makes more sense for him. Now, if the, if the Cavs could get him and it was maybe a little bit of their MLE to kind of sweeten the pot for him and bring him in for a year, maybe you trade him in midseason anyway. I don't think that's a bad thing. I think having adults around is good. This is a, an organization that has gotten younger. Kevin has not really ever been the willing kind of veteran leader in the way Tristan Thompson was, or I think Larry Nance could be, or Matthew Delavadova was, right? Like, it's it's a little bit different. Danny Green could provide that. And so I, I 100%, I think you kick the tires on that. And, and if you could get him to agree to it and be actually interested in it, then I, and I think there, it could make some sense. But I'm skeptical that that would be a thing Danny Green would want to do with 
you know, very little time left in his career, considering he's only been playing meaningful basketball for, for large chunks of his career. Now, really quickly, too, I have seen reports of a possible sign-in trade with, you know, bringing in Josh Hart from the New Orleans Pelicans. Obviously, you have David Griffin there. Do you think that he could be a fit for this Cavs team? I do. I think if you could get Josh Hart, you do, and you don't think twice about it. I, I think he's tight with Larry Nance. Larry, I think, has been uh, lobbying behind the scenes a little bit to try to get Josh to be interested. I think the question is, can you offer – something that would appeal to New Orleans to make them give up on a player uh, or make him just not keep him because he's a useful player. They have much more win-out pressure because they have Zion Williamson on that team, and the Cavs, you know, maybe don't have as much, but they still would like it to get better. And, and Hart can play the two. He can play the three. He can come off the bench. He can serve to be a really good player if you get him for about that mid-level price. Um, I, I would, But could you could you get, like, New Orleans to do, like, okay, we'll send you out Jetty Osmond's contract because uh, there's one year – non-guaranteed after next. David Griffin knows him from being with the Cavs when he came into Cleveland, although Kobe Altman was the point of contact for Jetty, I think, for large stretches of Osman's time in Turkey. And could you do one of your – you have two second-round picks still next year, including the Houston one. Uh, could you give them one of those picks, maybe the maybe the one that is not quite as good, and get Josh Harden? I would I would explore and kick the tires on that, absolutely. He's clearly the best wing, I think, available left on the market right now. Chris and I are going to take a timeout. When we come back, we're going to be talking Evan Mobley, Cavs Summer League, and what nickname could we have between Evan Mobley and Jared Allen? Stay tuned for Sports for CLE after this. Back to Sports for CLE. I'm Mac Robinson, and we're talking Cavs. Cavs have the number three overall pick selected, Evan Mobley, big man out of USC. And let's bring in Lockdown Cavs host Chris Manning. And Chris, before we get into you know how he fits with the team, there's been a lot of talk about different nicknames for between him and Jared Allen. Now I'm partial to Frobley, but how do you feel between Frobley and Tower City? Which way do you lean? I'm a Tower City guy. Give me the big <laughs> image of the the big buildings, the the imposing nature. Frobley is good. Uh, Tower City just just feels a little more right to me. Gut gut check is is uh, is Tower City. I, I I like Tower City. I like Tower City a bit. I, again, I'm just a little partial to the wordplay. I'm a little partial to the wordplay. That's all. We we need to see the merch is the question, right? Like we need to <laughs> yes. whatever T-shirt or like hat or whatever looks the best, whoever comes up with the best looking merch is going to win here because we know the t-shirt economy in Cleveland is very yes. strong. Yeah, it, it's alive and well, pre-pandemic, post-pandemic, does not matter. <laughs> the t-shirt market thrives. But Chris, you know, with Evan Mobley coming into town, you know, what are some realistic expectations that Cavs fans should have in year one for, for Mobley? I, I think this he should be rookie of the year contender, right? Like I, I think Mobley is going to 
I think, be a really interesting player for Cavs fans to watch because he's not like anyone else they've had. He is the seven-foot guy who can handle the ball. Um, I was looking through photos of him today for for something, and he's, like, way longer. Like, he just looks like Gumby almost with how, like, stretchy he is. <laughs> it's like Mr. Fantastic kind of uh, length there. And he's he's just, like, this really unique, weird player that I think can fit everything you want to do. I think he's going to obviously have some growing pains. He's young. He is adjusting to a new to a new level of play. Like, even in summer league, there's going to be a speed adjustment. You hear guys talk about even, like, college to the G League for some guys can be an adjustment because it's grown men versus – um, you know, guys that are 18, 19, 20 years old or 22-year-olds who maybe aren't going to make it to the NBA, right? So there's going to be an adjustment, but I think his passing, I think his defensive versatility, I think everything he does that is just really unique is going to look so different for Cavs fans. I think when you watch him play, he's going to be someone that doesn't fit the conception, I think, of what they've had in recent years. Like, he is so many different kinds of players combined, and he's gonna you're going to see this guy – I think grow and learn in real time and how, how far you can push that as a rookie is like easily the, I think my top storyline for the next season. Now the Cavs have summer league coming up, Evan Mobley and Isaac Okoro headlining the roster for you. What are you looking forward to the most from Cavs summer league? Well, if I'm going and I, I'm very excited. I've never okay. been, uh, I'm going to get to see Mobley in person, which I'm very excited about. Uh, I love, that first time you get to see a player in person and see like just just it's just always fun. Um, I I think the Sunday matchup against Houston is going to be cool just because you're going to get to see Isaac Okoro uh, probably defend Jalen Green and like Jalen Green is skilled but like Isaac Okoro rocks and he's like apparently <laughs> added a bunch of muscle and like watching him defend Green in one on one situations is just something I'm I'm very amped for. But like Okoro and Mobley are the two reasons to watch. I mean. We'll see what Okoro looks like. Does his ball handling look more fluid? Does his shot look more fluid? Uh, J.J. Outlaw, the Cavs assistant, who was coaching Summer League, said on Wednesday that you know he's going to have Okoro run some point and stuff. There's not really like a traditional point on this team, so I think Okoro is going to get some reps for however many games he plays. But like, I, I want to see what Lamar Stevens looks like. I, I think you for the Cavs, depending on what happens also in free agency, you're going to need one of Dylan Windler, of Lamar Stevens, of maybe Jetty as a bounce back candidate. Kind of you need one of these guys to really hit next year to kind of round out your wing rotation post the Torian Prince trade. Um, and, and Lamar is a guy I, I think has the size, has the frame, has the motor to kind of be that if he can iron out a shot. But I want to see what he looks like. He's he's a guy I want to see. If he I felt last year that he came in and made winning plays and did winning things despite some limitations. And I want to see if he can expand himself in summer. Like he's, he's kind of my clear number three guy on that roster behind Mobley and Okoro. And obviously it's their show more than anyone else's, no matter if they play two games or if they play all four or in pre playoffs or whatever. Now you mentioned too, obviously Larry Stevens, he's one of those wing players that the Cavs are kind of hoping takes that next step this year and have a lot of high expectations for him. But how do you see the Cavs wing situation really playing out seeing as, you know, it seems like they have a lot of big big men and they always have a lot of point guards. So th- there's kind of like that in between. Yeah. They, they need to build it out still if they can, right? Like I think, you know, if they can get Josh Hart, do it. He's a good player. You can trade. He's going to be on a tradable contract. He's a useful player for a lot of teams. Very malleable. Get him if you can. Get Isaac Bonga, who I think is a little underrated as a defender, if you can get him. Like go get a wing. But also you're going to really – your player development stuff has to hit here, right? Like I think one of the things that Cleveland in this post – LeBron 2.0 era really needs to get into is is nailing player development. 
Lamar Stevens has to be a guy you hit on at, at some point. Not necessarily him specifically, but someone of that ilk has to be someone you're going to hit on. Dylan Windler, can you rehab him after he's had a really brutal start to his career? He will not be at Summer League. Um, they're bringing him back a little slowly after he had last year with an injury, and he just got married and went on his honeymoon. Um, and you need to hit on these guys. And if you can rehabilitate Jetty, into more of what he was two years ago versus last year, like that's a good thing. But um, I think you need to add more bodies. Um, and, and look, I, it would not shock me if JB at some point just gets frustrated and is like, okay, I need I need stops. We're going to go Okoro, Nance, Mobley, and Allen, two through five. And the shooting's not going to be there. Darius is probably going to have to be the point guard and do all of the creation of Rubio or whomever. But uh, you're, you're going to have to just, like, I need guys that can play the three. And Larry, I'm skeptical that that is a big sample size thing that can work. But, like, I... If there's going to be points where like you're going to have to see JB just try stuff, and that's that's I think kind of one of those things you might see him try just because Larry is clearly one of the better players on this team and can handle perimeter assignments a lot of the time. Chris Manning of Lockdown Cavs and Fear the Sword joining me. Thank you very much, Chris. Thank you for the time. Mac, anytime, brother. Chris Manning of Lockdown Cavs and Fear the Sword. Special thanks to him and special thanks to D-Man Dennis Maniloff of WTM 1100. Tomorrow, and my chair is going to be John Fanta once again, probably ranting about some national pundit who's disrespecting Baker Mayfield yet again. But uh, before we get out of here, here's some of your sights and sounds from training camp earlier today.